I always think it's really helpful to have someone who maybe is prepared to act as a mentor yeah. do you know I think that's you know I've had as I said um, let's say Marion Keys now in particular has just been re- like really helpful I'm um, so jealous I know we're really good friends I'm oh my gosh. so no, jealous I know, I know, of I your life how did her here today uh, yeah oh sorry I'm not good enough Emma no, that's gra- no, no, no Emma it's grand it's fine it's like a little lads I invite Marion Keys onto every episode okay she has yet to return my calls <laughs> And welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome my guest panellist this week, author Louise O'Neill and creative director and founder of Manly, Emma Manley. A little bit later on, Melissa Reddy will be joining us. She's recently been appointed senior football correspondent with Joe.co.uk, an absolute boss and I had the pleasure of catching up with her earlier in the week. First off though this week's episode is a little bit different so we're channeling those old school Agony Ant pieces and helping out some listeners with some advice. I don't know if it's going to be good advice but anyway before we get uh, into it. Excuse me it's, it's going to be, be the best, best. advice it's you've got, ever heard Apologies. It's going to be the best advice <laughs> you've ever heard. This may just be the new format for the show going forward Before we get into it though let's learn a little bit more about our guests and what better way than by putting them under a severe amount of pressure and asking them to describe themselves in six words or less so I don't know who should we start with I just love the power I think we're going to go to Louise oh, first God. So six words or less Louise um, okay I actually had forgotten about this and then last night I remembered and I was like God, oh, crap so I'm just going to I think use um, my Twitter bio which is really boring no that's not we were actually just reading your Twitter bio oh, so anyway okay, but I'll put actually because that's only five words so I'll put an extra word in okay. just for you Thanks. Um, okay, so author, feminist, ambitious. I love men. Yeah, we knew it. There we we knew that was coming. Yeah. We loved it. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah, I'll explain. Do you want me to explain it now? Or do yeah, you? go on. Yeah. Well, the I love men thing came about because I just kept getting like all this like online trolling about why do you hate men so much? Why? Do you? And I was like, because you're all garbage. But I couldn't say that because they get really offended. <laughs> they don't like uh, that. And yeah. also I'll never have sex again. And I'm like, no, I love you all. So I was like, I, I do. I love men. You I can be them. a feminist and you can love men exactly. at the same Time. Exactly. Exactly. Emma, six words or less? Oh, I, I did not enjoy prepping for this, but I did. <laughs> okay. So, um, very simply, a uh, bare legged fashion entrepreneurial health freak. Oh, That's I like brilliant. that. It's so informative. Oh, yours are yours is well, better than mine. See, there's so much you want to say. Like, there's so many things yeah. that you want to say, but six words. I know, I know. it's really hard for I people. Know. I found it's really, really hard for everybody else except for me in this situation. And also, our listeners really like it as well. Can I ask about the bare legs? Because you're bare legged today. I'm always bare legged. But I love that. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. The, the recent snowstorm. Now, actually, believe it or not, somebody <laughs> Sorry, like, did see me in a pair of tights and say that's the first time I've ever seen you in a pair of tights. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just, I, I don't feel the cold in my legs. Do you know what I think it is, actually? Because okay. my mum, when we were as kids, she used to say all the time, get your legs out in the air. That way you won't burn in the summer. So we'd go around, like I play tennis a lot. That's so terrible, be, terrible no, I advice. <laughs> so I have this thing. Thank God your mother's not on this agony aunt episode. We could have her in But yeah, yeah, I just, I really enjoy bare legs. I don't like the feeling of something on my legs. I don't really like jeans. I do have to say that in the summertime when you have like a little dress on or something and runners, I always feel very, very comfortable. But during the winter months, my legs are just not prepared for... Yeah. They, they're not prepared That's for anybody to see them. them. You need I to know. take my mum's advice. Well, see, I'm very pale. Like, I'm, I'm very pale. At you now and you're like you're tan, so I think maybe a little you bit can of get away with Garnier it. moisturizer yeah. on there. You <laughs> yeah. know? Do you do that kind of like as a nightly thing? Then just a little bit of moisturizing. I, I tan? actually have started. I never wore fake tan. I was so against it because I was like, if I see myself with fake tan, I'm never going to feel comfortable without. Okay. So I started doing it, but I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a wimp, so I do half of that moisturizer and half a regular, and just build it up every second day, and then. I always feel like I just I'm a bit healthier looking nice. that's alright it's really cold today though so well done with the leg situation don't feel it's cold mm. out there and, uh, and it looks great so you're just a superhero <laughs> so uh, before we start with the advice that we're going to be giving Louise the book Almost Love is out now I've read it I loved it I know people usually kind of ask you to surmise the mm-hmm. book I don't think I'm going to do that because I think people should actually go out and read the book themselves oh, it's so so good so let me ask you how have you found the reaction so far Actually, I have to say I've been really overwhelmed um, mm. because I, I know with uh, my previous book, Asking For It, when that came out, you know, there was uh, quite a strong reader reaction. But yeah. I don't think I realised this time it was going to be quite so instantaneous, um, mm. you know, because it came out like it's only out about a week and a few days. And already I've had, I mean, at least 100 messages um, yeah. from women, you know, on uh, DMing on Instagram or on Twitter or emailing just saying, 
that how how much they found the book has resonated with them and that it's about this toxic love affair between Sarah and this uh, man Matthew and they keep going this is my Matthew yeah. this was my story so it's been I think this is going to be my life for the next year is like randomers coming up to me going listen yeah, this is my story but so. how incredible is that to have oh, like yeah, no, to have written something that resonates so much with so many women yeah well I think what's interesting is a lot of them saying oh I thought it was just me um, yeah. or I didn't realise that maybe this was such a universal um, experience so I think that has been it's, I mean, it's, as, as a writer, you can't really ask for a better reaction. I guess we do need to surmise it a little bit, actually, in case people don't know what we're, <laughs> yeah. what we're talking about here. So um, go on, tell yeah, us a little um, bit about it. It's about a young woman um, called Sarah, uh, who is a frustrated artist, and she becomes embroiled in this very toxic love affair with an older man um, named Matthew. Um, and she becomes increasingly um, obsessed with him and infatuated and sort of desperately trying to win his approval and prove herself sort of worthy of his love. Um, and it doesn't last very long, but it has has long-lasting repercussions for her subsequent relationships with her um, relationship with her father, with her career, and I think most importantly, really, um, the way that she sees herself. Um, so it's about obsession and desire um, and the sort of intersection of class and privilege and um, and gender politics. And I mean, it's a, it's a good story too, as all well. that makes it sound kind of quite serious. But no, um, it's a great story. It's very relatable, I have to say. Do you know? I know you've been doing the rounds. Obviously, you're kind of getting out there and doing a lot of interviews. And I've seen a few interviews that you've been in before. I'm not going to name any names, but I want to ask you: <laughs> Does it annoy you when people say that your protagonist is unlikable? Because I've heard that a bunch of times, so and it annoys yeah. it annoys the shit out of me, to be honest with yeah. you. Because, like you said, I said again, I'm not going to name any names, but. Um, you don't think that this would be a question if the protagonist was no, male. No, I don't. I don't. And I that's absolutely completely don't. fact. Yeah. And I also think um, what I find really interesting is uh, being asked this question time and time again. And then you have women and readers saying to you, you know, Jesus, Sarah, and I just feel a little bit bad for them because then I think they're hearing these interviews where people are saying, God, she's just so awful. And the thing is, as an author, I don't care about whether you think she's likable or not. I, I care about whether you think she seems real. Um, and if you're going to be honest, um, if you're going to create like an honest characterization, you have to have like the petty, mean yeah. thoughts as well, because we all have them. We absolutely do. And that's kind of like the, the, the whole question of does it annoy you is that the fact that that question is even being asked and the fact yeah, that it's a part a of the feminist, conversation as a feminist it really annoys me because it's just it's so gendered like yeah. if I as I said if it was about the male anti-hero is so deeply enshrined in our male psyche that if as I said if it was about a young man called Sean no. they, they would be like it's it's just look it's it's always the same like men it's create art same. women yeah, I think are how boring would it be if every you know character you wrote was just lovely yeah like dipped in toffee before yeah. they left the house yeah. Yeah. sugary so sweet I kind of see the upside of it I think oh, it's you. great that, that somebody would say that and you can stand by her and say actually she's a real woman yeah not yeah. everybody is perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah. likeable no, exactly. we all have bad no. traits we yeah. all have those awful thoughts we, you know. except for Beyonce because oh, she's she perfect, perfect. Yes. obviously so, everything is yeah. except for Beyonce <laughs> um, we're going to talk more about the book a little bit later as well and your new book as well you're so busy there's a new one coming out as well in May Emma anyone who's remotely interested in Irish design and fashion knows your name and knows the company so last week you had the Manly sample sale and you were telling me just before that you've extended it now so busy yes. busy busy absolutely it's always busy which yeah. is great but yeah we've extended it for another week so uh, Amazing. An- another week selling Lots of gorgeous Manly and seven other Irish designers under one roof. So it's great. So Manly was formed back in 2010. So it's been kind of eight years on the go now. And just for anybody who doesn't know, give us a little bit of background about, like I know you worked in New York and you worked in London as well with Alexander McQueen. So was owning your own label just the ultimate dream from day one? Yeah, like I think if, if I think if I'm I'm totally honest, it probably was. But I think that the the route I took to getting there wasn't as you know structured as that. You know, I was interning with Alexander McQueen for a year while managing a restaurant and bar in the evenings, wow. um, and just you know struggling to get by but loving every second. Like that yeah. year was the best year of my life. Um, and then in any spare time that I had, I started designing a collection on the side. You know, it was made in my front room of the rented apartment wow. in London. Wow. Yeah, and then I wanted to get it shot so um, I, I got you know the, the lookbook done and sent it back to press in Ireland and then people started calling in the pieces saying you know we want them for shoots mm, yeah. so I was kind of bowled over going wow um, and at the time my sister was very heavily pregnant with what would be my first niece and I kind of wanted to be at home and I wanted the support system yeah. there so I kind of packed my bags and I, I headed for you know back to my mom's house where she gave me her old studio 
and said, look, if you're going to make a go, let's make a go of it. Yeah. And I suppose I really did. I gave it everything. Yeah. And so obviously it's been hugely well received and it's still going eight years later. Yeah. What's the future of it going to be like? I mean, how has the industry changed since you began? The industry has changed so very, very much. Mm. Um, I think we all, you know, hear the Devil Wears Prada, you know, scenes and all that kind of stuff. Um, the fashion industry is a strange one and it's something that something that I dislike about it is how quickly it moves. Mm. Um, so what we're trying to do with Manly is we're, we're trying to, in some ways, you know, we've deseasonalized our jewellery and our Manly bags. Okay. So it's our accessory collections that are basically made from the offcuts of leather from our women's wear. Right. So we don't put them into seasons anymore. I do not believe that a woman needs to buy a bag every six months. I was going to ask yeah. about that and I was actually going to ask about it later on because I was going to admit the fact that sometimes I don't understand the fashion industry because it moves yeah. so fast yeah. and I'm like literally barely in my leg latest pair of boots when I have to start shopping for a bikini Absolutely. and it just mm. confuses the crap out of totally. me. Totally and I think it's 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 wholly unnecessary yeah. so the way we work with Manly is yes we do do spring, summer and autumn, winter Yeah. but every season the, the colour palette is always going to be something that can be mixed with all of our last season mm. so wow. when you invest in a piece of Manly like that's a piece for life we use beautiful wools, silks and leathers and they're standout pieces they're total investment wardrobe pieces so next season you might buy something else and that'll yeah. still match mm. with your old Manly so that's how I, I imagine you know the manly customer to be somebody that yeah. buys a piece every season maybe two pieces if you're lucky yeah. and they're they're constantly just buying beautiful pieces that they wear day in day out they wear them during the day they're transitional pieces that you can take to, to evening wear you know with a pair of heels they're, it's an everyday wardrobe mm. for you know the problem is with that though is that I will never be able to throw anything away which yeah. is another but thing that I struggle with you, yeah. you just buy less and yeah. you buy well well I have to say everything you're wearing today I like want everything you're both wearing it. today no, I you want know. well you can toddle on down to the sample sale yes. straight after <laughs> nice plug <laughs> So ladies, will we get into the advice? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I feel like I need to prefix this. None of us are qualified anything no. when it comes to advice. Am I right? I mean, I've been in therapy since I was 17, so I feel okay. like I'm going to be really good at this. Okay, but you don't have like a secret <laughs> psychology degree yeah, no, or anything no, no, like no, that? No, 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 I don't. Yeah, I'm doing that in my spare time. I'm yeah. actually a doctor. You <laughs> <laughs> have no spare time, Louise, whatsoever. So I put the call out about this episode and some really tough questions actually came in as well and also a few kind of lighthearted ones. So let's just kick it off. Dear aunties, none of them said that, by the way, but I just <laughs> I just really want to be an agony aunt. So. I'm an auntie, so I can oh, relate. Yeah. Okay. You know, so yeah, we're now grand. all aunties. I'm getting married in the summer and I have a name conundrum. I don't know whether to take my husband's name or not. Deep down, I know that I love my name and I don't know why I'm even struggling with this. Tradition, I guess, but what do you think? Yours, Mrs. What's-Her-Name? Oh, my. Well, I'm I'm recently married. I know, I so, know. Um, I suppose I, I felt the same thing. Um, okay. I love my name. I'm also last. I'm the, the youngest of three girls and uh, both of my sisters are married and took their husband's names. And, um, you know, my, my dad passed away um, 15 years ago. So I am technically the last Manly. Wow. So I think hence why Manly is called Manly. Yeah. Um, and I have such an attachment. I am Emma Manly. I have always been Emma Manly. But Ono Sullivan, I would be very proud to take his name. But there's also a huge part of me that's like, I'm not ready to let go of who I am just yet. Mm. Yeah. And why so, should you? Exactly. So the way I see it is when the Bambines may rear their heads in the future <laughs> I suppose I'll I'll think about it then right. but I, I would definitely want to be you know Mrs. E. Houlevon in, in certain ways but at the moment I'm I'm going to hang tough with, with Emma Manley for I mean, It seems like it might be a bit of a A, a slow burner A slow burner yeah. but also like being so proud of your given name yeah. and then being so proud of your husband's name as well I think that's maybe what Why our listener is struggling with I mean yeah. and then there is the double barrel Ooh. Yeah, I mean that might be an unusual combination, Manly Nihulavon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I mean, to be fair, like, can you even imagine booking a restaurant saying hi, I'm Emma Nihulavon? They're going to be saying what? So uh, that's why it's easy to have Emma Manly as well. Yeah, you know. Um, I feel really strongly about this. Okay. Um, obviously. Um, and um, and I think it started off. I remember I was 15 when I read um, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, and I presume most people have probably seen the Hulu version. Yeah. Um, and you know, they the handmaidens go into the houses of um. And they're, you know, called of Fred or of George or, you know, of Harry or whatever. Mm. And I remember it was the first time that I was really struck by that. And I said to my mother, I was like, why did you take dad's name? Um, why did you take dad's surname? And she was like, oh, you know, it's just kind of what we did. 
And I think as I got older and I started interrogating that kind of thing, I'm like, well, why? And then I really looked at even just the concept of getting married. It's like, you know, uh, the, you know, the man has to ask your father for permission. So it's like it's handing, you know, kind of giving the property over. You know, yeah. your father walks you up the up the aisle and hands you over. You take his name, you know, any children that come along, you know, they're supposed to have his name as well. And I just really disagree with it. And then I think as well, like really think about it. Ask your husband, would you take my name? I just think yeah. it's just interesting to think about why yeah. are these things happening? I like think I think that, you know. The main thing is that people, as you say, like actually just think about it and say, I'm not just going to default and take his name because yeah. that's what's done. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it and say and what, decision. what, exactly what, yeah. what it means to you. And I also think that it's fine if somebody, as the majority of my friends have done, have taken their husband's names. Yeah. That's okay too. No, but I, just make sure that you've made a conscious decision that I do understand that there is a choice here. Yeah, no, Simple I agree. And, and to be fair, like loads of my friends have taken their husband's names. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I will say a tiny part of me does kind of go, but also like feminism is about choice. And if that's exactly. their choice, I think, as you said, it, as long yeah. as it's a conscious and you're really thinking yeah. about it. But I think it's kind of nice that some people are kind of questioning it now and thinking yeah. about the origins of where it came from because we ran a piece on site there a while ago about where the man getting down on one knee came from mm-hmm. but it was just about questioning those little traditions that we yeah. all do and where, they, yeah. and where they came from Absolutely. and I kind of so I mean I suppose the advice I don't know go with your gut I think that if she's feeling slightly uncomfortable about it I think I would really give it a lot of thought because yeah. I think that if it sounds like she's really unsure and that she wants yeah. to keep her also, own also it's a really stressful time getting married for some people I, I personally didn't find it all that stressful but a lot of people do and if she doesn't want to have to make that decision now, so yeah, be it. She can like, do it, as let you said, it in the future. Exactly. Yeah. Get the wedding, you know, done, enjoy it, be so in the moment with it. And then after, have I a little I don't even think. know how you would change your name. Do you have to go to the passport office? I don't know. I don't know because I haven't done it yet, yeah. clearly. But you know, it's so funny sometimes when you see on like Just Facebook. Just the admin, the admin. And like, the admin. They're Jesus coming Christ. off the, you know, the altar and like already on Facebook, you know, the oh, name has been changed. Me. The social oh, media and the Twitter already. No, it's to change And then I never, months. and you know, like when, when their name is coming up on Facebook, especially school friends, I'm like, who is this person? like, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, she's changed her name, yes. I'm still single on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> You're keeping your options open there, Emma. (laughs) Mrs. What's Her Name, best of luck with the wedding anyway and let us know what you decide. Okay, so the next one. I found that women in power positions within organisations can more often than not keep other well-able ladies in their place and put them down instead of helping them to succeed. Obviously not always the case, but what advice would you have for dealing with this issues? Yours truly disgruntled feminist. Mm. That's a tough one. We We went deep. This... This stuff really irritates me, to be yeah. honest. So it's all about women being powerful now. And, you know, we're wanting to, you know, lift women up and say, hey, we can do a job just as good as men, right? That's fine. Not every woman who's in a higher position in a business is a bitch. Yeah. And not everybody mm-hmm. has that really, you know, hard shell that wants to put other women down. I think it's almost like it's talked about too much now. And any time yeah. a woman does well, it's almost like you do want to put her down and say, well, do you know how she got to that place? Or, you know, it's, it, it, I just, I find it hard when it's talked about so much. Mm. And I think that women in general are looking to help women and to give them the leg up when and where possible. This situation would happen with men as well. Yeah. It's not just females that do this at all. It seems mm. like this person it's, might just have a woman who's in I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. It's just, it, it's another situation that a lot of person. people are living through. Yeah. and it doesn't matter yeah. whether their boss is male or female and or whether they're male or female. It's kind yeah. of a really good point because you wonder if if a man was having a really tough time and it was because of a peer, I wonder if the gender would matter. I wonder yeah, if would he would, expect that would he um, expect, the yeah. man help him just by... No. And I have to say, I have, I've never found that. Like I've always found um, other women, um, particularly, you know, that have been, uh, you know, at, at a greater stage in their career than I have, have always just been so helpful yeah. um, and really, like, kind of, you know, proactive in trying to, um, you know, offer me assistance mm-hmm. because... I think actually in general what I've noticed with women is that we want to see more women in positions of power we want to see more women as the decision yeah. makers and the taste makers so we're trying to amplify their voices um, because especially with women that have been maybe shut out by traditional media so we're trying to kind of as I said just make sure that they get heard so I have had a very different um, experience to that and I wonder is that a slightly more old school where if 
you know you've got I don't know a board uh, position let's say and there's only one there's like one um, place for a woman or one for a, a person of colour and that yeah. there's more of this kind of competitive um, feeling like I feel like that's slightly more old school I haven't really I mean, seen that as much I would say that if in I my was, own career yeah I mean I've seen it to be honest with you I've seen it a little bit and I've seen it in, in media organisations in particular and I think this person might be talking about like a bigger organisation as mm. well I do think um if I was to give advice on that situation, you know, I worked in radio for years and it was a struggle and it wasn't necessarily a struggle from other women, but it was just a struggle to kind of get my voice heard in general. Mm -hmm. But my advice would be to kind of look at the situation and see whether sometimes we can be a bit internalized and sometimes we can be a bit like, well, this person is literally trying to keep me down. And I guarantee you that person is thinking about their lunch. You know, like they, they may not be as bad on you as, as you seem like they are yeah. being you I think know? we tend to overthink things so yeah, greatly these so days much. but I also think that certain situations we need to isolate the actual situation and take the gender, gender out of it and exactly. say what is the best way forward with this situation yeah. deal with that person in the exact same way whether they're a female or a male and mm. honestly sometimes like honesty is the best policy so I've, I've been in situations when I've actually sat down and I've been like I think that I'm being treated unfair in this situation because of A, B and C you have to be so prepared for those meetings yeah. because yeah. like you know you're filled with anxiety and you're filled with adrenaline you're like oh my god what's going to happen I'm going to lose my job but sometimes sitting down and looking at it straight in the face and addressing it can actually really help as well yeah. and maybe turn a mountain into a totally. molehill you know? and also it's good you know if there's any other women in positions of power at her um, company I always think it's really helpful to have someone who maybe is prepared to act as a mentor yeah. do you know I think that's you know I've had as I said um, let's say Marion Keyes now in particular has just been like really helpful I'm um, so jealous I know we're really good friends I'm oh my gosh. so <gasps> no, jealous I know, I know. of your life why did her here uh, today yeah oh sorry I'm not good enough Emma that's no, gra- no, no, no Emma it's grand it's fine like a little <laughs> Lads, I invite Marion Keys onto every episode, okay? She really? has yet to return my calls. Oh my so God. But she's been great and just it's been really nice having someone who has, you know, twenty two years of experience and thirty five million books later who is like, No, this is what you need to do. This yeah. is, you know, even just because when I started off I didn't have a clue. So it was mm. really good to have someone who was prepared to yeah. kind of go out of their way to help me, you know. Amazing advice. I think we can fit in one more before we take a quick break. So this comes in from Anonymous. <clears throat> Should you work with your boyfriend yours truly my boyfriend doesn't know I'm asking this <laughs> hell yeah 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 alright um, oh god sorry have I just jumped in <laughs> no 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 go oh, sorry um, so Owen would help me out with Manly a lot he, he's okay. kind of he's my little work hubby really? like he has a full time job and he you know he, he does his thing elsewhere but, um, and when you weren't married, was he helping you out a little bit as well? Uh, oh, like literally from the first date, oh, wow. it, the, the advice started creeping in. And then I was like, maybe I actually should take the advice because yeah. he kind of knows what he's doing. So, um, yeah, like I, I, it's obviously frustrating working with your other half to a certain extent. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I also think that it's really good because he is 100% honest with me. If I'm with somebody else and we're working on something sometimes they might be a little bit cautious with what they say or hold back a little bit or you know not want to offend you Mm -hmm. whereas Owen will just say it as it is it's just like there you go that's how it is now get on with it and do it I love it I love the honesty if it's a full time thing I think you would have to have very good boundaries as you said you yeah. know like this is work this is home and yeah. you know the, the I two think maybe um, I'm probably the, the worst person to ask for this I have worked with boyfriends before so I worked uh, I'm absolutely not saying anything else about it but I worked with a boyfriend and it was really really tough and the relationship didn't work out mm. and I do think it was because Did you meet in work? Yes Mm. and then you broke up and you still had to work together mm. oh god that's, that's really awkward there's about 50 different scenarios that could play out here like I know. did you meet and work did yeah, you, like, yeah. We, is she thinking of going into business with him or what's the well I don't know and I can't say I don't know who it is as well so um, but I, I would imagine should you work with your boyfriend sounds like she works with her boyfriend and she's just trying oh, okay. to figure out whether or not and but then honest, where else are you going to meet people I know and that's the True other that. thing do as you know? well most people do I mean I, I work from home so I'm never going to meet anybody <laughs> no. <laughs> So we need to let's they like arrive out. to the front door and be like hello <laughs> um, never say never you yeah. never know no. I do think it's a, a funny one and I think the personality and the relationship obviously matters as well I mean me and this boyfriend at the time we weren't meant to be together it was definitely an awkward situation mm. after the breakup to continue to work so closely um, but I do think it depends on that and just there's a level of respect that I think you need to yeah. Yeah. deal with but as well so that you're not like hold, like if you're working in an office that like you're not like 
shifting in the corner. No, you know? yeah. No, like we uh, only did that. We like, only did that a well, few maybe, times. Yeah, maybe that you are shifting in the corner. <laughs> maybe it like, I don't know. Boundaries would be what boundaries, I would say. Boundaries are the most important. And also, I think that something that we never did at the time, now this is years ago, but we never switched off. So I think if you can incorporate some kind of rule that by like 7 p.m. onwards, oh, yeah. you literally don't talk about work. If it yeah. means sitting in silence, fine. At least yeah. it's silence, you know? Yeah. But I suppose, I don't know, follow your heart. And, oh, that absolutely. advice and also as well <laughs> if you do happen to break up like let's let's be fair about this like there is a chance if you do happen to break up and you're both working in the same place that you're respectful to each other absolutely yeah. you don't drag shit into the office and yeah she exactly did this and, and he did yeah, that. create a, an it's awkward atmosphere yeah, yeah. yeah totally Okay, so we are taking a break for our spotlight on sport. Melissa Reddy is a tour de force within the sports world. She's just been appointed senior football correspondent with Joe.co.uk, and I caught up with her earlier in the week. <laughs> Melissa Reddy, senior football correspondent with Joe.co.uk, joins me now on the line. Melissa, you're very welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to chat to you guys. So you've been a football journalist now for over 10 years. So can I ask, first off, where did the passion for your sport come from originally? Um, growing up as a kid, I actually lived with my mom. She raised me on her own. So, And I grew up, um, my formative years were still in apartheid South Africa. So the area I grew up didn't really have much in the way of entertainment for kids. Right. Uh, and the one thing we did have is the school, the local school, um, the the yard. And I say yard because it wasn't a pitch, it wasn't a lawn, it was just yeah. basically a bit of sand. Um, and that's where I spent much of my time and the boys from the area would play cricket, um, football, rugby, everything and I got into sports as I think as a form of, of entertainment as a, as a form of just giving myself something to do I was captain of the netball team volleyball team uh, and from there my passion just grew so obviously sports from a very young age was very important to you so why Liverpool and when did Liverpool come into your life it's quite interesting actually because my family support Manchester United no. and Tottenham. All right. Okay. Yeah, those are the two. <laughs> those are the two big teams. And basically, those decisions came about because both teams did stuff that they weren't supposed to do during apartheid South Africa, as in they came over and and did coaching clinics and stuff. Yeah. So my dad and and his mother and my, and my granddad took affiliation to to those sides. But when I was about six or seven um, I watched John Barnes on TV and I'm not sure many of your listeners will know him but oh, anyone yeah. who likes football will know he mm-hmm. was so graceful and after watching him that was that was just me I was like this is my player this is my team and yeah it's been the same ever since and so growing up then Melissa when you were heavily involved with sports I mean you said there that you were the captain of the netball team and, and the volleyball team and stuff at what point in your career did you decide that you wanted to go into the media side of things? I, I think I was always a good writer, um, always good at plays and, and those sort of things, anything that, that involved, uh, you know, public speaking and the love for sport. It, it was, probably was an obvious thing, but when I went to university and I, I did media and communication, mm-hmm. I was also doing international relations. I come from quite a, a politically inclined family, yeah. and um, I wanted to, to get into politics, and everyone would tell me, why don't you just get into sports? And even when I was doing my first jobs in, in PR, uh, all my colleagues, you know, when we around and talk about sport they they would say to me you're wasting your time you should really get into sport yeah uh, but obviously as a female a young female there even in even in South Africa there's not many opportunities to to get into sport especially sport that are considered you know male dominated spheres and in 2007 the first opportunity came up and I went straight for it and thankfully I got it I mean, you touched on there pretty much what my next question was going to be. So the fact that sport in general, and in particular football, is extremely male-dominated. Early on, were you very much aware 
of gender discrimination within the football world? Yeah, um, the first thing that was quite striking is obviously that there were no opportunities going and when opportunities did arise, you weren't even considered for it as a female. Um, So the job I spoke about in 2007, Sky Sports had a South African operation. And I think I I, I consider myself very lucky in a sense because the job was based on a a three-tier examination process. So you had to do a sub-article, you had to write an original article, Mm. and then you had to do um, like a general knowledge questionnaire about sports. And because it was based on those things rather than, you know, whether you were male, female, your age or, or yeah. whatever, because that was the criteria, I had done really well. I topped every um, aspect of that. And they called me back within half an hour to say um, no one's done as well, in, you know, in this um, in this interview process in all the time we've had it. So we'd like you to come in. Um, and I always think... if. I wonder if it wasn't set on that criteria, would I have still gotten in? Um, And then since then, you know that you face a a daily battle. And it's not just, it's not a quiet one or it's something that you know is there. It's always, whether it's underneath the surface or, or quiet in your face, it's just there. You've got to work harder. You've got to prove yourself. In every single conversation you have, you know, with somebody you've never met before, yeah. you've got to basically prove that you deserve to be in the room. And what was it like then, Melissa, when you came to the UK? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming that that first job that you got was in South Africa, am I right? Yes. So uh, I had worked for Sky Sports, a South African organization. Then I became, uh, I actually ended up heading their football department. Um, the first female they had in charge of their football department wow. went to Kickoff Magazine, uh, became deputy editor. It's the biggest sport publication in Africa. Again, first female. Um, and so then when I came over to the UK, it was obviously starting from zero again because people look at you and think, oh, she's come from South Africa. What yeah. does she know about yeah. Um, the Premier League or, or like UK media or, or yeah. anything like that. Um, so it was, yeah, fighting all the same battles again. Obviously, it's, it's then different because it's not just that I'm not male and, you know, an old uh, white male, but I'm also yeah. not an old white British male. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it was kind of like a, a, a triple threat. I was yeah. um, young, off-colour, foreign and it took a long time to gain the respect of of a lot of people but i think if your work is is good if if you're if you're willing to stick it out if you're willing to understand that it's tough i mean it shouldn't be but if you accept all those things and and continue to give the best account of yourself I, i feel that you will always prosper Let's take things a little bit more to the present now. And I suppose in the last week or so, you know, Liverpool's been in the media a lot um, for some negative press, I suppose. Uh, Spitgate is what they're calling it on Twitter. And uh, and you tweeted yourself actually about it and you took kind of a a forceful stance on it. For any of our listeners who may not know what happened last week, can you just give us a really quick rundown of the incident? So obviously it's the biggest match in in the Premier League, Manchester United against Liverpool. It's at Old Trafford, United win 2-1. And then Jamie Carragher, a Liverpool legend who now works on Sky Sports, he was driving home and there was a dad with his 14-year-old daughter in the car who's, um, I think from the video you can can say that he spotted Jamie Carragher um, on the road, has then baited him a few times and has then decided, oh, wait, here's a video opportunity. Mm. So he takes his phone out, and while driving, um, he's like, oh, there's Jamie Carragher, um, shouts the score at Jamie Carragher, opens his window, shouts the score at Jamie Carragher, and his daughter from the very start of the video is begging him to stop. Yeah. Um, And Jamie Carragher reacts in a very odd, disgusting fashion Mm -hmm. and spits out, some of the spit lands on this 14-year-old girl. That's awful. And the dad 
yeah, when the daughter tells her dad, the dad's reaction is, ooh, nice, Jamie Carragher's just spat on my daughter, nice. Yeah. It's not one of concern, it's one of, ooh, which yeah. I found quite odd. And I, I thought the entire thing was bizarre, yeah. the fact that Carragher reacted in that way, the daughter's, uh, the dad's, you know, not listening to his daughter, his lack of concern. And in all of this, I thought the 14-year-old girl was the only one who, who acted like an adult. Absolutely. And I mean, I think the thing with an incident like this, obviously he was being goaded and in a really dangerous fashion on a motorway as well. And it's inexcusable. Yeah. He has come out and he's been really forthright and apologised, you know, and saying that he's hoping that an incident like this in a moment of madness won't tarnish his entire career. I mean, I suppose when things like this happen, though, this kind of behaviour away from the pitch, do you feel disappointed that such behaviours can rise from, I suppose, maybe the culture that sometimes is associated with the game? I'm hugely disappointed in the way Jamie Carragher acted, only because I think, you know, he dealt with with this sort of goading uh, all his career. Um, and and I thought he'd be able to handle it better. I think you know it doesn't matter whether he's disappointed me, but it's his it's his own family and yeah. Um, he's put he is one of the best uh, analysts on the game. It's a pleasure to watch him. He's so refreshing. So it's also you know done himself a disservice in the fact that he's now been suspended from Sky. But I think. You know, just around football, this culture of of baiting. Mm. You know, part of it is, is natural and it's funny. And I mean, even at Joe now, I've got colleagues who support United or Spurs, and you know, we all throw jokes each other's way. Yeah. But I think there's always a, a line, and I don't think that driving with your 14 year old daughter in the car yeah. is is the way to then take off your phone while you're driving to record somebody just to bait them. Yeah. And we see it as well with, you know, football fans using disasters mm. to point score. So the Munich air disaster or, or the Hillsborough disaster. And I mean, when you're using the death of people uh, to point score in football, I, I just think that everyone should take um, a longer look at themselves and, and just make sure they're, you know, keeping up with the spirit of the sport. Like I said, um, it's okay to go and stuff in in a funny sense, but mm. but not when you when you overstep the mark. So before I let you go, Melissa, there's been a huge push of late, which is really great. I mean, we've seen it here in Ireland and I hope it's in the UK as well when it comes to getting more women involved in sport, both on the pitch or in a court, as well as journalists. So what kind of advice would you have for young women and girls out there who maybe have a passion for sport, but who might be reluctant to pursue it as a career? I think go for it. Make sure you're knowledgeable you have to realize that you're going to have to put a lot of effort in uh, and be prepared for that. Be prepared for the stick. Be prepared for people to not like you. Um, You know, whether you're doing podcasts and they say, I don't like her voice or whether you offer an opinion and they think your opinion is stupid only because you're female, all that comes with the territory, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but you've got to be strong enough to, to push through that. And if you genuinely are good at what you do, uh, I think you'll always, always rise to the top. Um, And yeah, just look for any sort of edge you can get. Find a niche, perhaps, that, that no one's really doing or find a subject matter that you can really ace and, yeah. and that allows you to shine through uh, and just persist with it. Melissa, thank you so much for talking to us and best of luck in Joe.co.uk. UK. Thanks, guys. So we're back with our panel, Louise O'Neill and Emma Manley. We're doing an Agony and Style episode and we've been giving some advice to some listeners who've gotten in touch. So this next one comes in from Anonymous and uh, it's a little bit of a tougher question. So here we go. With consent, it appears that time and time again, if somebody is not aggressively and verbally saying no, there is a sentiment that it wasn't communicated. How do we teach young men and women to communicate with each other and understand each other's verbal and nonverbal signals? So that came in from Anonymous and I would imagine that this is coming obviously from the trial that's happening Mm. 
at the moment I mean Louise your first book Asking For It obviously dealt with a lot of these issues mm-hmm. and and also congratulations the stage play that's coming oh, out oh yes thank yeah, you amazing. Yeah, premiering in June yeah, yeah incredible oh, um, but I mean what advice can you give I mean I suppose teaching young men and women is the kind of key question oh, absolutely. in that absolutely and I think that you know it was really interesting with Asking For It because I was going into schools um, you know uh, talking to uh, young young people um, girls and boys um, about the issues that were raised in the, in the novel um, and very often the principal or you know the English teacher, the librarian would say, you know, we'll, we'll probably do it with fifth and sixth years because the parents will feel uncomfortable with you talking to, you know, younger than that. Like I had to give a, a speech to um, a group of I think it was second years, and they were like, you know, if you if if you don't mind, we'd prefer if you didn't use the word rape. Um, and I was like, well, that's going to make talking about this book about rape quite difficult. But yeah. okay. Um, and I think that that's a real issue because already if you're talking to eighteen year olds, you know it's too late it is too late like you know we need to be talking to it's miles too late yeah you know because they're already having sex at that stage like you need to be talking about consent at a much um, younger age and also I think at at the moment the way that we look at rape is um, you know there's still this idea of sort of stranger danger that it's you know someone dragging you in um, off the street um, and raping you at night which is often so not the case no I mean in most cases it's someone that you know um, you know it's at a party where drink has been taken and where those kind of boundaries are um, a little bit blurred um, and I think it's about really looking at what consent means, you know, so that the absence of a no does not mean a yes, that yeah. it has to be enthusiastic, that it has to be continuous, you know, that it's really, it's really obvious. So because, you know, obviously with the case and we won't talk too much about it, but I've, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, well, why didn't she scream or why didn't she run? And, you know, there's three different responses to um, trauma and it's, you know, uh, fight, flight or freeze. And actually psychologists would say that in um, rape cases, the most common thing is that people freeze yeah. so that it's really that men and women have understanding that if someone has completely frozen up that there, it's very clear that there's like that's a very obvious and verbal that's clue exactly, that yeah. you know consent has not been given and it so can be non-verbal like, oh yeah absolutely and, and that it, it it's just that I think it's really about um, it's really about like early education and I think also a real problem is is that sometimes you wonder you know this idea you, they, they say oh well I don't want like you know what do you want me to do get them to sign a contract or you know like asking like, well good sex is about healthy yeah, communication and absolutely. do you not want to ask for consent because you're afraid you're not going to get it yeah. that's the thing and I, I suppose like you're talking about education and the fact that that school said to you you know don't mention the word rape mm. but with mentioning the word rape comes you know mentioning and educating these young people on respect it's just on respect and if we're not talking to our youngsters about you know and and there is a fine line between you know when you educate somebody on what rape is then all of a sudden you're taking away their innocence but by not even taking but by taking by by Making them understand what it is, you're actually allowing are, them to stand up. There are ways of teaching consent yes, to yeah, very young children without it exactly. being about sex, without yeah. it being about rape. You can teach kids, like maybe it's about actually thinking up an entirely different way of educating but listen, children. If you, you know, when you were a kid and your mom said, "Give your aunt a kiss," yeah, and if yeah. you say, "I don't want to," and she says, "That's fine, your body. If you don't want your aunt to kiss you, that's grand." Like there's nothing sexual about that whatsoever. Yeah, that's true. Like you could teach a three-year-old tri- child that so that they understand that their body is their own and that they have the right yeah. to say I don't want to be touched I mean and we are we are teaching we always teach kids about sharing toys and like you can't yeah. take that toy out that someone I mean yeah. there are ways I think that we can get through to young kids and I think that's kind of what our listener is asking like how do we it's education it, it is it's just education sex education really in, this school, in this country oh, is it's shocking just yeah. and I think it's really important for parents now to take it upon themselves to educate mm-hmm. in the home because if it's not happening in our schools then where else are the children going to learn this? So I think it's really, and it's not just up to parents to do it. You know, teachers should be doing everything in their power, as you say, to educate in a different way and not be mentioning the word sex and not be mentioning the word rape to young ones. Exactly. But I think it's all about, you know, in the home, teaching. It's it's a a different way of life as Mm. well. It's not just about and I know we're talking about the case and it's very topical at the yeah. moment but it's not just about that it's about every aspect of a child's life yeah. mm-hmm. and what is theirs and if they want to share certain things with certain people and it's I really I feel very strongly about it coming from the home yeah mm-hmm. I think so too great advice okay so we have another one come in I desperately fancy a work colleague and don't have the balls to say anything this is kind of a different way I think he likes me too but he's shy what advice would you give on asking someone on a date a flat out date I could take the rejection because at least I'd know I Mm. love that question love her yeah Yeah. 
So she just wants to know how to ask, a, ask someone out on a date, which is tricky because do you know what you do in these situations, I find anyway, you kind of wait for that opportunity. So you wait for maybe a social event or you wait for a night out or something like that. And that's very Irish. Yeah. We work. wait until we're drunk. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't work at all. Yeah. No. But I have asked out guys before. I, I would as well. Poorly. Um, but I've no, asked I, I think, and it was funny, I think it was because um, of having lived in New York um, and, uh, you know, it was just... It was such a common thing, you know, you'd be in Starbucks, you know, waiting in the queue and someone would be like, hey, you know, can I have your number? And at the start, I nearly like brought out like mace spray. And, like, <laughs> what are you trying to do? That's amazing. Uh, yeah, because, you know, like as Irish scene. people, I was like, oh, my God, what's what's wrong with you? Well, yeah. the Irish thing is that you have to know them in some way. It's like, oh, it's a friend's friend. Or yeah, it's a cousin's yeah. And brother, again, you have to be whatever. really drunk. Yeah, like, absolutely. So yeah. it was, I, I was like, he's sober and it's eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I'm so scared. Um, but by the end of it, it was just it was so it was so easy. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that that is definitely something that I've brought it like now if I if I liked someone I would just ask them out you would literally just ask them out yeah. like, do you want to go for a coffee do you want to go for face a drink face to face That's yeah cool. or I, I text them or you know whatever but yeah but I have um, done it face to face as well and like sometimes they're like no I'm like okay I was going to ask that have you ever yeah. been rejected I mean I know it's hard to believe <laughs> I mean <laughs> I was quite stunned as well but it has happened best selling author yeah, yeah. fine <laughs> don't come for a coffee with me yeah. <laughs> Emma what do you think about that I think that? it's great yeah. I love it that you know a woman's there saying I want to ask him out um, I, I, I do think that if you leave it till a social event with work there'll be a few jars on yeah. and then maybe and the next day, day yeah. Yeah. but then the next day is he going to be like oh god she was kind of pissed and did she mean it and if he's shy he's not going to call her up on it yeah. so why not just say like you fancy grabbing a drink you know after yeah. work just yeah. the two of us yeah. be honest yeah. honesty is the best policy and I think as well like if you have a feeling that maybe he likes you too or he's a bit shy yeah, yeah follow that feeling and just go for it and then you know if he does reject you fine at least you know I mean realistically it's a crush it's not going to turn your world no. upside down and, and I think the important thing after that is um, you know if they say no then you just act like completely normally and I think for yeah. me because I grew up in a very small town like where you know you score like literally everyone in all that small them. town and yeah exactly <laughs> I don't know all of them from until, by the age of 17 I was like there's none left and then you'd move to um, Dublin yeah <laughs> and then, you know, but you'd meet them the next day and you just have to act like as if yeah. nothing had ever happened you're just like oh hey how are you you yeah. know blah 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 and I think that's what it is if he says no then just like make a really conscious effort to you know still be really friendly and just act like really and you know normally. I've asked men before how they feel if a woman asks them out and they love it like they think yeah. it's incredible so I don't think that I think we're now definitely in an age that there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong but with asking a lad out I have chickened out before but I've done it as well and been rejected so I don't have a good track record on this question at all <laughs> but also if you I kind of practice if, if a guy was like oh I was really turned off by her asking me out I'd be like He's well I don't want to anyway. date you anyway yeah. yeah okay we have time for one more question and this is a saucy one it's a sex <gasps> question okay we haven't had any sex questions so I was like right we'll throw one in we'll throw <laughs> one in at the end I've never had sex <laughs> We won't ask you about it then, Louise. Okay, I've been in a relationship for three years. I live with my partner and on the surface, everything is going well. Here's the kicker. He's never made me orgasm. I know Ooh. it would break his heart to tell him and I am truly happy with him. So any advice, yours truly, desperately seeking the big O. Ooh. You're looking at me. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at you. Uh, Don't look at me. It off. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. God, well, I presume if she's saying that, then she's able to make herself orgasm. You know that it's not that she's never had an orgasm like ever. Yeah, so it that sounds she's like she's familiar with masturbating the concept, and yeah. yeah. Um, well, then I think she doesn't have to you know sit him down and say you've never made me orgasm. Like I think I, I think after four years, I think harsh. that's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. And I also think it's, it's a, a lot on her as well because yeah. if you if you if she's been pretending um, and uh, she hasn't really been telling him what she needs for him to do yeah. like he can't take you know the entire responsibility for that so I, I think agree. it's like, I think it's about saying okay you know what Let's. why don't we try something different and I'd really like it if you would touch me here I would really like yeah. it if you would um, do this and I think that might be a, a maybe a more gentle way of going forward and actually just stop pretending. If she wants to work at it and if she wants to make it work, they need to sit down and, as you say, maybe not say, like, look, nothing's ever happened in the four years we've been together. Don't say be, that. No, because yeah. you, you'll shoot the guy's confidence yeah. completely. But I think it would be really great if there was a bit more honesty. And I think that sometimes girls do play up to the role that they think that they should have in bed. Yeah. We're taught 
that we should act this way. Yeah. And men don't have men don't have like I don't believe that they have the same pressure on them as we do have no, on I agree. us. So I think it will be it will be great if they, w- they could just be a little bit more honest yeah. and slowly but surely be a bit more honest, not no. straight away say. So no, I agree because I actually yeah. think what would really hurt me in that situation would I'd be like you've been lying to me for four the years. Like yeah. I think it wouldn't even necessarily be about the fact that you know that you're faking. And I I, I I actually when you were saying that, which is something that comes up in um, almost love, is that it's this idea of young women and um, women in general performing their sexuality rather yeah. than actually inhabiting it yeah. because we're so concerned with Sarah, how do Sarah I look did that. yeah no yeah. she does because when you're thinking about how do I look and how sexy do they find me and do they find me attractive yeah. you're never going to be able to come because you're not in the moment no, like you're, in, you're, your you're in your head you're rather than your body everything else yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely so I think I, I think that she has to sort of maybe take a little bit of responsibility for this as well yeah. and then just be like well I'm going to teach him from now on and you know how like, to how what I need for him to get me off if you're in a long term relationship as well there's nothing wrong with spicing things up a little yeah, bit totally. and just trying something new like maybe yeah. it's about incorporating some kind of toys and different things to, it's yeah, very absolutely. early in the morning to be talking about this kind no. of stuff but I mean I no, think it's it's, yeah, I'm okay with <laughs> but I mean I think like it's about having an, an honest conversation yeah. Yeah. but I'd say the person's feelings are probably paramount in this situation yeah, yeah. no, I, and, but and I feel yeah. sorry for her too because obviously you know she's felt probably under pressure to like as I said kind of perform you yeah. know this idea that, that you know got to build yeah. when does that point get yeah. to a point of then just feeling guilty about lying as I well know. see like the thing is the like if, if they've been together four years and if they're you know if they are planning on you know staying together and all the rest like this is just one thing in their relationship that they've to deal with now there's going to be so many things in life mm. that come up and it's like if you could just learn to to completely invest everything into that person and yeah. say like look this is actually how I'm feeling whether it's about the bedroom situation or whether it's about a mortgage situ- situation yeah. or whatever mm. it's it's just being honest and, and communicating more sometimes we're, yeah. we're, we're desperate for communication we think because we're talking yeah. we're communicating but we're not actually communicating anything yeah. at all it's just jibber jabber I think yeah. like the general theme of our advice is just honesty is the best honesty. policy yeah. no, I agree. Policy. wow so what do you think do you think we nailed it as agony ants oh I think we were right <laughs> yeah I know yeah. <laughs> New careers, ladies. That's it. Let's pack everything else in. So before I go, I do want to ask what's coming up next for you guys. Emma, you were talking about the Manly designer sample sale, so you've extended it. So what can we expect from Manly in the coming months? So um, the Irish designer sample sale is something that I organise. Um, it's for Manly, but it's also for other Irish designers. So why do a Manly sample sale when you can do an Irish designer one and Amazing. have anything up to you know, 15, 16 designers under one roof? Yeah. So It's um, right around the corner, isn't it? Yeah, so we're in the Fumbly Exchange for mm. the Dublin one. Um, and then we are going to Cork, uh, St. Peter's oh, Church, where, where? Yes. <laughs> the 20th and 21st of April. Oh, and then we're going okay, to the I'm G Hotel that. in Galway wow. on the 12th and 13th of May and maybe even further afield. So yeah, incredible. best thing is just to sign up to our newsletter and all the dates April. will be fired out. And that's there. on your website that we Absolutely. can find that. Yes. Manly.ie. Okay. Manly.ie. So Louise, obviously Almost Love is out. Everybody yep. needs to go and buy it. Yes, of course. Um, I need my royalties. Um, <laughs> and, and also art you it, know buy actually, the book literature so my important book, I left my copy in there but it's been very much read and oh, I loved it you. like oh. honestly it's really really an important story I think for, for lots of men and women to oh, read it thank you it's really relatable and I think I haven't met anybody who said nah don't like it so it's oh, a really good one well, but tell you. us about the next book as well yeah I know um, I have a feminist retelling of The Little Mermaid called The Surface Breaks um, which is coming out with Scholastic on May 1st um, and then the stage adaptation of Asking For It is going to premiere in the Everyman in Cork in June and then come to the Abbey in November so, so I'm very excited so much exciting stuff coming up but the surface breaks a feminist retelling of The Little Mermaid I mean there was so much in it for a feminist retelling so yeah it was that a joy was to write literally my favourite like The Little Mermaid The Little Mermaid was my a very so dark I'm, version yeah but I'm excited okay to see good what you've done. if you think about it as an adult it's very different to what we thought of it as children no of course yeah. it's like she literally like silences herself gives up her voice and mutilates her body in order that this man will find her attractive and fall in love with her it's Disney. like what kind of messaging is this for young girls Disney it's Disney I know mm. and it's terrible I think for women of our age to kind of really think about those Disney stories yeah. it's very weird but anyway that's all the time we have for now I'm sorry to say I could literally stay chatting to you guys for the rest of the day but I have been told that I need to let my guests go a huge thank you to Louise O'Neill and Emma Malley and a big thanks to our spotlight on sport Melissa Reddy as well I'm Neve Marr and we'll chat to you next week Thank you.